First Peter chapter four, verses fifteen to nineteen this morning, and Hebrews chapter ten. Well, some people were wondering, you know, since today's Valentine's Day, y'all remember that, husbands? Did you remember that? Oh, scary silence. Okay. Um, <laughs> some people were wondering that uh, since today's Valentine's Day, if I'd prepared a special message, right, on marriage or something. Well, the title of the message is Suffering and Glory, Part 2. I'm not sure where you are in that continuum. No, but actually, you know, if, if we are willing to suffer long with each other, right? I have found, we have found, as my wife suffers with me. <laughs> Amen. She's not even here. Um, as, as we suffer long with each other, right, um, there is... A glorious thing that he does as he as he brings us uh, closer and closer to one another. But yes, we're just continuing on. First Peter chapter four. Let me remind you of where we were and where where we are. Um, Peter began teaching. Actually, this whole letter really is about suffering and glory, right? But uh, last week in particular, he addressed maybe more specifically than he has before. What do you do when your world comes unhinged? When you're suffering, he writes this to a, a group of people who uh, their friends are being martyred as, as, uh, as this letter goes out. The question, what do you do when your world begins to come unhinged? He gave us four things last week. I want to show you them. Uh, verse 12, this is just by way of review. Verse 12, he says, uh, number one, refuse to freak out. He says, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Then he said... Make sure that you're being refined by the fire. Uh, the word fiery trial there, it's, it's uh, a word that was used for the refining of gold, right? Getting away, get rid of the dross, the junk, and letting what remains be pure. It says, refuse to freak out, be refined by the fire. Number three, you find it in verse 13, rejoice in your future. He says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad. With exceeding joy. Rejoice in your future. And the fourth one last week was this. Rejoice even right now. Not just in your future, but even right now in fellowship with Jesus. Look at verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, happy. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. We saw that when you're suffering righteously, there's no time when Jesus is closer to you than then than that okay so those are some of the themes we've been touched we touched on last week and one other thing we noticed this this thread this connection between suffering and see if you were paying attention <laughs> glory okay yes so you weren't paying attention uh, this, this connection between suffering and glory. Many times we see it in, in the New Testament in general, but especially in this book. If you were to just go through this book and look for words uh, that imply suffering, heartache, trial, tribulation, all those things, it, you don't have to read very far in this book to find the word glory. And we saw that our God is so awesome. It's not just that he takes suffering out of your life. And replaces it with glory. No, he takes the very thing that has you suffering and turns it into glory. The illustration we used, that which Jesus used, which is this. 
Look, it's like a woman in labor. She is suffering. But that very thing that she's suffering ends up being the agent of delivery for a glorious relationship. Okay? That kind of gets you up to speed where we are. Peter's talking about suffering and glory. Today we come to part two. I got four points for you, and they all have the, uh, the, a word that begins with C in them. You ready? Verse 15, Peter says, Don't suffer as a crook. Don't suffer as a crook. Verse 16, Peter says, Do suffer as a Christian. Suffer well as a Christian. The third point, verse 17 and 18, Peter says, Look, it's better to suffer for correction's sake than condemnation. Better to be corrected than condemned. And verse 19, the fourth point, Peter says, commit yourself to a faithful creator. Okay, don't be a crook. Do suffer as a Christian. Better to be corrected than condemned. And finally, commit your soul, your future, all of you, to a faithful creator. All right, there's your outline. Here we go. Regarding suffering and glory, Peter continues and he says to the suffering this morning, some of you, all of you eventually, says to the suffering, Make sure you are suffering for the right thing, for the right reason. Peter says, make sure when you suffer that you're not suffering as a crook, but as a Christian. Look at verse 15. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Let me back up and make sure you guys understand. Again, there's suffering that leads to glory, right? Peter says, don't misunderstand. There is some suffering that leads nowhere. It doesn't lead to glory. He says, if you suffer for the right thing, it's a glorious thing. If you suffer because of your own stupidity or because you're a crook or a criminal or a creep, not so much. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Peter says, don't think that every instance of suffering in all of the world leads to glory, that there's glory attached to all suffering. No. He says, for instance, he doesn't say this, but I, I get this. Don't, don't do a lousy job at work and then get fired and then say, praise Jesus, I'm being persecuted. That's what he's saying here. Right? Make sure that though unbelievers are going to call you a crook, they're going to be looking for opportunities to say things, evil things about you, don't let them be right. We've seen this over and over again. We are called, guys, to be persecuted. Jesus said, look, they didn't like me. They're probably not going to like me inside of you. Right? So Peter says, look, they're going to call you a bigot. They're going to call you a nut job. They're going to call you hate monger. Don't let them be right. Don't let them even be close to right. Verse 15, he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer. Okay. Now, first glance, aren't you thinking, well, shouldn't that kind of go without saying? <laughs> FYI, guys, uh, it's not persecution. You can't call it persecution if you're punished for a murder you actually commit. That's what he's saying. Your name probably will not make Fox's Book of Martyrs. <laughs> The word murderer is phonius. It means a murderer, a homicide. And again, we're like, well, isn't that obvious? Well, wait a second. 
Peter is writing to people who are being slaughtered by an unjust government, right? By Nero, this, this wicked man. When you, when you factor that in, then in this climate of persecution, couldn't Peter be saying basically this? Look, I know that you're tempted. The, the, the thinking is, when, when it's open season on Christians, the thinking is, well, I'm going to get them before they get me. Peter says, well, if you do that, then they will rightly accuse you of homicide, or of murder. He says, look, there is no glory in suffering as a murderer. You can't, you can't kill someone and then say, I'm being persecuted because all I, all I did was kill that guy. That's what he's saying. It seems so obvious to us, but we're not being physically hunted down, right? Um, interesting, remember who, who writes this? Peter. Wasn't he the guy who pretty much did want to defend himself? The guy in the garden. Jesus is, is in the act of surrendering, and Peter is busy lopping off an ear of the high priest. This just kind of hit me this week. I was like, oh, I think I get it now. Remember when Jesus said to him, he turned to him and he said, Peter, put that sword away. For all who take the sword, he says, will perish by the sword. Have you ever wondered, thought, well, is Jesus just trying to prevent a gruesome death for Peter? Well, no, wait a second. Peter did die a gruesome death in the end, right? Seems to me that Jesus is not trying to protect Peter from a painful death, but listen, a non-glorifying death. Do you get it? There's no glory in defending yourself and then having them say, oh, well, now he's a murderer. That's what we'll, we'll put him up for. Interesting. Um, we, we have this phrase, is this a hill that I want to die on? You ever heard that? Right? It's like, uh, I'm going to count the cost. Is this really worth me dying on? Right? I think Peter's kind of saying, I've learned not to die on the hill of my own self-defense. But I want to die on Calvary's hill. Right? Where nobody can accuse me of anything and I glorify Him in that. Maybe that's an application for you. To think, is this a hill that I want to die on? Do I want to defend myself or do I want to let Him be my defense? So, Peter says, first of all, the guy who lopped off the ear says to us today, Countrymen, lend me your ears. <laughs> Verse 15, he says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer. Okay? Then he says, Let none of you suffer as a thief. The word is kleptis. It's the same place we get the word kleptomaniac, someone who steals things. It means an embezzler, a pilferer. Again, we look at this and go, Well, duh. Let none of you suffer as a thief. I mean, it seems like it's so obvious. But again, remember, persecution. Don't you think that there were people who were, had lost their jobs because of persecution? They were tempted to steal just to, to put food on the table? I think Peter might be saying, who do you trust here? Don't give them the opportunity to accuse you of something. Don't give them a legitimate reason and, and have all the glory sucked out of this event. See, Peter says there's no glorying in suffering as a thief. That's not undeserved persecution. That is deserved punishment. 
to, to make it obvious, again, you can't say, I don't think with a good conscience, you can't say, I'm being persecuted and all I did was steal some stuff. Peter says no. Then he says, don't, be, don't suffer as an evildoer. That's a generic word. It covers all of the bases. It means just one who works evil, a criminal. Peter says, you can't say, glory to God, I'm being persecuted and God is turning it into glory and all I did was some bad, evil stuff. You get where he's going here? He's saying, look, you're called to be winsome and then they're going to misunderstand you. They're going to accuse you of all sorts of things. Don't let them be right. So he says, Look, suffering, God can turn it to glory, but, verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or, it says, as a busybody in other people's matters. Now, is that a bit odd? I mean, there's the list of murderer, thief, evildoer, and busybody. Doesn't that seem a little odd that it made the list, right? It's like seeing a prison lineup with Jack the Ripper, Al Capone, Jimmy Hoffa, and Edna, the busybody. <laughs> but Peter puts it in here. Interesting that the word busybody, uh, as far as I can tell, we, we know it's not anywhere else in the, in the, the Bible. And uh, I've heard that it's also nowhere in the contemporary literature of the day. We think that Peter actually coined this word, busy body. It's, it's two words compounded together. Um, and the first word means to belong to another. And the second word is episkopos. It means overseer. Peter's talking about, he's saying, don't make yourself an overseer over other people's matters. He says, look, and when you do, and it comes back to bite you, when you insert yourself into other people's uh, business as an overseer, when, when that happens and it comes back to bite you, don't call it persecution. Now, I feel like I need to make sure you, you understand the, the, uh, the balance of this. The, the Bible says that we are to, um, when we see a, a brother sinning, right, we're to uh, lovingly seek to restore them. Right? But there's a difference between me saying, hey, I need to... I need to talk with you about something um, so that we, you and I can be right and so that you can be right with the Lord as opposed to I'm your overseer and I've decided that, that you're not living up to these things. Peter says, look, don't suffer as a murderer, don't suffer as a thief, don't suffer as an evildoer and don't suffer as one who put yourself in somebody else's uh, authority o- over someone else um, un- unrighteously. Here, if you boil all that down, verse 15, Peter's message, I think, in verse 15 is this. Look, if you live a pure, godly, winsome life, persecution will find you. You don't need to go searching for it. You don't need to go out of your way to find persecution because persecution will find you. And when it does, if you're living that winsome, godly life, that's when glory follows suffering. Okay, verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Application. Again, we, at Calvary Chapel, we try to look for applications everywhere we, everywhere we can. Let me give you some possibilities. The Lord knows everyone in this room, and He knows what He's trying to say to you individually. First, He says, don't suffer as a murderer. Hopefully, nobody this morning has to be persuaded not to actually murder someone. Maybe so. 
But even if you're like, well, I'm not a murderer, so this doesn't apply to me. Wait a second. Doesn't, didn't Jesus raise the bar on anger? Didn't he say if you are angry with someone without cause, that you are a murderer? Right? So the application for you then, if I'm speaking to you right now, look, don't lose your temper, don't blow your stack, and then when the chickens come home to roost, that you begin to reap what you sow, don't blame God. That's what Peter says, don't let anyone here suffer as a murderer, as one who cannot control his temper. Here's another application for a thief. Again, maybe you're, you're not, you know, you don't look at yourself as a thief, but Peter says, uh, have you thought about this? Don't steal from your boss. Whether it's time or office supplies or your best effort. Peter could be saying to someone in the room, don't cheat the government. And then say, I'm being persecuted. He says, don't be an evildoer. Don't sow bad stuff. And then when it comes time to reap... Say that God is your co-conspirator. Because that's what you're doing. If you, if you do these things, practice these things, and then say, I'm being persecuted, you're making God your co-conspirator. And finally he says, as far as a busybody, he says, don't put your nose at other people's business, and then when it gets punched, call it persecution. The, the world is increasingly, I promise you, going to call us all sorts of terrible things. Peter says, once again, don't let them be right. They're going to call you crooked. Don't you actually be a crook. Okay, first point. Peter says, don't suffer as a crook. Second point, here it comes. Ready? Do suffer, because this can lead to glory as a Christian. Not as a crook, but as a Christian. Verse 16, it says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in this matter. Interesting. There's only three times in the Bible you'll find the word Christian. The first we find in Acts 11:26. It says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And by the time Peter writes this, this letter, no doubt that word Christian was not a, a nice name. This was a derogatory term. This was a pejorative term. This was a dirty word. You might remember in Acts 28 or 26:28 when Paul is giving his defense before Agrippa and Agrippa says, "Well, Paul, you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian." I think he was he was mocking Paul, right? It, to to some degree there. This was not a nice word for Christians. It meant little Christ. It meant follower of that one Jesus Christ. They never meant it as a compliment. But look at verse 16. See what Peter does. Apparently he's in the, he's in the frame of mind to, to change things, to uh, coin phrases. Because look, he says, verse 16, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. Do you see what Peter's doing? He's taking this nasty word, spinning it on its head and say, No, guys, that's a badge of honor. Don't let them call you a criminal or a creep or a crook and be right. But if they call you Christian and they say it down their nose, you need to understand that's an awesome thing. You do not be ashamed. You wear that badge with honor. 
When someone calls you this nasty name, Christian, you wear it well, Peter says. Peter says to a church that is suffering persecution, look, they're going to hate you, but when they call you that word, Christian, wear it well. It reminds me of a story that I heard Ravi Zacharias tell. Um, I'm just going to steal it completely. It's not stealing if I give him credit, right? I think, okay. This is a true story. This evangelist named uh, Yaakov, he was visiting a town in Yugoslavia where uh, the church that is the politicized uh, ecclesiastical hierarchy, right? The, the governing power that called himself the Christian church, they were doing terrible things. And they were, they were blaming Christ for it, making him their co-conspirator. They were, they were persecuting other folks, not Christians, okay? Um, listen to this. One day an evangelist by the name of Yaakov arrived in a certain village. He commiserated with an elderly man named Simmerman, on the tragedies that he had experienced and talked to him of the love of Christ. But Simmerman abruptly interrupted Yaakov and told him that he wished to have nothing to do with Christianity. He reminded Yaakov of the dreadful history of the church in his town, a history replete with plundering, exploiting, indeed with killing innocent people. Simmerman says, my own nephew was killed by them. He angrily rebuffed any effort on Yaakov's part to talk about Christ. He says they wear those elaborate coats and caps and crosses, signifying a heavenly commission, but their evil designs and lives I cannot ignore. So save it, basically. Yaakov, looking for an occasion to get Simmerman to change his line of thinking, said, Simmerman, can I ask you a question? Suppose I were to steal your coat and to put it on and break into a bank. Suppose further that the police saw me running in the distance, but they couldn't catch up with me, but they had one clue. That was your coat. They recognized your coat. What would you say to them if they came to you and accused you of robbing into this bank? Simeon would say, well, I would deny it. Well, the police would say, but, oh, but we saw your coat, retorted Yakov. This analogy quite annoyed Simmerman. He saw where it was going. Save it. I understand where you're going. You're saying that we can't all be held responsible. Whatever. Well, Yaakov continued to return to the village periodically just to befriend Simmerman, encourage him, share the love of Christ with him. Finally, one day, Simmerman asked, how does one become a Christian? Yaakov taught him the simple steps of repentance of sin, trust in the work of Jesus. So Simmerman bends his knee on the soil with his head bowed and surrendered his life to Christ. And then it says, as he rose to his feet, Simmerman, Wiping away his tears, he embraced Yaakov and said, Thank you for being in my life. You wear his coat well. That's the point. There's a whole world where, of, of people that are calling themselves Christians that aren't wearing the coat well. Peter says, Let you wear his coat well. So, Peter says, look, when you do that, when you wear his coat well and you still suffer, there's glory at the end of that. Uh, the Revised Standard Version of verse 16, let me read it. It will probably clean it up for you as well. It says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but under that name, Christian, let him glorify God. So that's one dirty name when they call, it, when they call you that, Christ follower. 
Follower of Jesus? Yeah, I'll take that. That's what Peter's saying. Application time. Are you willing to be identified as a Christian? Maybe there's some here this, this morning, maybe at work, other places, you're tempted to hide your Christianity. You kind of take the coat off, put it over here, so you can fit in at work. Peter says, look, they're going to call you dirty names. Christian is, is one that you should be proud of. Do you wear his coat well? So, Peter says, look, don't suffer as a crook. Do suffer as a Christian. Suffer well as a Christian because there's glory at the end of that. And then he begins in verse 17, 18, that your third C would be this. It's better to suffer for correction than condemnation. Better to suffer for correction than condemnation. You're going to see in verse 17 and 18, Peter's been talking about crooks, criminals, creeps, right? Next he talks about Christians. Well, in verse 17 he says, um, look, we're suffering now. They're going to suffer later. Pick your poison. Right? Um, There's two judgments here juxtaposed. There's two punishments pictured. And Peter says, like the old commercial, you can pay me now or you can pay me later, right? Look at it. Verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Remember, everybody with me? Everybody awake? Yes, sort of. All right. Remember, Peter's writing this in the midst of great persecution. Don't you think that some of the people he's writing to are very tempted to just renounce Christ? Just be done with it? Because don't you think there's, there's armed guards going through each village saying, Look, You've got one more week to renounce Christ. All you've got to do is just buy some incense, throw some incense in the, in the thing, say that Caesar is Lord, Caesar is God, and we'll, let, we'll leave you off the hook for another year. Don't you think that was pretty tempting for some of these folks? Well, Peter says, pick your poison. Because look at verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. The word begin there is archomai. It means to be the first in line. Okay, to be the first in line. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Do you see where he's going? He's like, look, if you think it's bad now, and we're at the beginning of it, what in the world is it going to look like at the end of it for those who reject God? Rome is, at this point when he's writing this, punishing Christians heavily. Don't you think there were some people going, how could God let his family, his own family, suffer like this? If he really loved Christians, if he really loved us, how could he let us suffer like this? Maybe you've asked that question. If he really loved me, if I'm part of his family, how could he let me suffer like this? Don't raise your hand if you have. But if you have, I think Peter, if if he were standing in my spot today, would say this. You're asking the wrong question. Not how could a loving God allow suffering in the, the, the life of his family, but this. Here's the question to ask, to ask yourself. If he allows his family, whom he loves so much that he, he died for them, if he allows his family to be judged this severely, because he chastens those whom, whom he loves, and this is the beginning, then what does that tell you about the end 
for those who refuse to believe. It says, verse 17, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey it? Literally, it means refuse to believe. It doesn't say refuse to do everything just so. It says who refuse to believe the gospel. That's good news of God. I don't know if I'm losing you, but I'm trying to, to condense it to make it make sense. Here it is. Better correction from a loving father than condemnation from a just and righteous God. See, let me put it this way. If you have, and I hope everyone in this room has, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus... If you said, I'm a mess, here I am, I'll take you up on this good news that there's, there's redemption for my sin, that you'll cover my sin with your blood. If you've taken him up on that offer, I can tell you this, you will never experience punitive, that is punishing, fire. You understand? If you've come into his family, you will never experience punishing fire. Why? Because the punishment has already been paid. That's exactly what happened at the cross. Now, Jesus never says you'll never experience fire. Matter of fact, he says, in this world you will have tribulation. But do you see the difference between the punishment, not, excuse me, the, the, the purifying fire that you're experiencing and the punishing fire that awaits? Do you see it? There's, there's a huge difference. If you're a Christian, every fiery trial that he has allowed in your life, including the one that you're experiencing today, no matter as excruciating as it might feel, I promise you, it's only being allowed by a loving Father to purify you. So that there can be unadulterated glory in the future. Every single one that He allows, He's a loving Father. But listen, if you've not given your life to Him, what that means is what awaits you is a fire that's not purifying, it's punishing. If you're a Christian, everything that He's allowing in your life, even today, is to distill you, not to destroy you. It's to refine you, not to ruin you. It's to correct you, not to consume you. There may be some this morning here, you are the prodigal son, and you right now are in pig slop, mere in the woodshed, right? Rejoice in this, at least you're not the, the son of perdition who is cast out. See, that's Peter's point. Wouldn't you rather be children in the hands of a correcting father than enemies of a righteously indignant God. Peter says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, his family, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Verse 18, Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, that word is rescued, if the righteous one is scarcely rescued, where will, be, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Well, the short answer, guys, is hell. The lake of fire. Verse 18, he says, Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, the word scarcely means with difficulty, with great, at great expense. 
with great difficulty. Is that not true? That Jesus, at great expense, secured our salvation? I think it's fair to say, wasn't going to the cross for your sin and my sin, wasn't that pretty much the hardest job in Jesus' existence? It cost him everything. It was the costliest rescue mission in history that culminated at the cross. Peter says, if that's true, and it is, then what hope is there for those who reject that costly cure? There's only one. There's only one hope for all of humanity. And it's this costly cure. What hope is there for for one who refuses, it says, to receive this good news? What, what hope is there for one who would look God's only son in the eye, all of the things that he's done for, for you, and reject it? Hebrews 10 puts it this way, verse 28. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit, it says, of grace. Y'all, I don't know if there's anyone here who doesn't know him. I hope your eyes are open to the truth. If you've been putting off entering a relationship with him, just thinking, well, I can do that later. I can do it sometime. No, as it stands right this minute, in, unless you change your, your direction, you say, Lord, I surrender, you are at odds with the Holy God and you have not just said no thanks, you have said, yeah, you died for me, paid for all the sin and, and all that, but no thanks. Trampled the, the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace that's being offered to you right now. Peter here is uh, comparing the judgment of the Christian at man's hand, which is still intense, but he's comparing that with the judgment of the ungodly at God's hands. He says it's a no-brainer. Application for, for those that Peter's speaking to is this. Guys, don't jump out of man's frying pan and into God's fire. Hear what he's saying? Let, let me, again, we're not... We're not suffering real persecution in our country yet. We don't know. But let me make this uh, applicable to, to us today. The safest place to be in trouble, trial, persecution is in His hands. Even if He's got you in the woodshed, it's still safer than running out and being hit by the Mack truck. You get it? the most dangerous place to be is depending upon yourself. And there's another application that should just come flying off the page of verse 17 and 18 is this. Pray for the lost. The people you know who are right now just in a holding pattern until the fires of hell. I know it's been rough the last couple years for some maybe it's been even longer than that have you thought about this this world right here today as much as it stinks this is as good as it gets 
for unbelievers. This is it. Woo! (laughs) After this, fire. Peter's saying, look guys, your fire is right now and you're being purified for a place that you can't even imagine. Pray for the lost. Okay, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. What? Did you read that? Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. Is that right? Does, does God allow suffering in, in real Christians' lives? I mean, because there are some preachers, maybe you've heard of some of them, who will tell you that if you suffer, you can't be in the will of God. God would never allow His kids to suffer. You must be out of the will of God. You must not be uh, thinking right or, or speaking right. You must not be claiming it. Right? Their, their message is this. Look, if you want to quit suffering... Just name it and claim it. Just blab it and grab it. Right? That's, that's the thought. Is that, well, you obviously you don't have enough faith if you're going through something. Let me tell you a, a little story I heard. Uh, two guys, they hadn't seen each other in years. They're on a road trip. The driver is one of the, the word faith kind of folks, right? Name it and claim it. And he, he enters in the conversation and says, So, how are you doing, man? Well, the, the passenger says, Well, to tell you the truth... I think I'm coming down with something. I got scratchy throat, and got muscle aches and stuff. It's like, oh brother, don't confess that. Don't say it out loud. But just, you know what? Just say you think you you might be feeling sick. Don't say you are. Just say you think you might be feeling sick. Okay, whatever. Oh, and, and how's your brother? Well, it's funny you should ask because we've been praying for him. He's had pneumonia for like a week now. Brother, don't don't say you're, he has pneumonia. Say he thinks he has pneumonia. Okay, all right. But a couple miles down the road. Oh, and and what about your brother Frank? Oh, he thinks he's dead. (laughs) The the word faith peddlers, and and I hope you don't think I'm... Actually, I kind of don't care if you think I'm coming down too hard on him, but... (laughs) But here's here's why. Um, Here's why. Because when you start to, to not only believe that stuff, but preach that stuff, it, in opposition to all of First Peter that's written to a church that's dying, being killed, when you start to preach that stuff, then what happens naturally? Think about it. People who love the Lord, who are trusting in the Lord with all their heart, doing the best they can, then they come down with cancer. And they have people like this saying, you just must not have enough faith. You must be doing something wrong. How wrong, how evil is that? I understand that the people that are preaching it, they they don't get it. I don't think they're trying to do it maliciously. But it's so hurtful. Please don't buy into that stuff. That we can create our own reality by the, the words that we use. How about this? What if we trust, as Peter's going to say here in this next verse, we trust in a faithful creator. One who we know loves us. And so we're going to put everything that we know, even our suffering, in that grid. This is a, a father, a creator who, he's carefully created me and he loves me. Okay. All right. So, uh, I think I've lost track. Uh, don't, don't suffer as a crook. 
Don't suffer as a criminal. Suffer as a Christian. That's number two. Number three, better correction than condemnation. And number four, our fourth C, commit your life to Him. Commit your soul to Him in doing good. And trust that He's committed to you. Look at verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good. The word commit, this should help. It just means to deposit, right? To deposit for safekeeping. Peter says, when you're suffering, how many people are suffering? (laughs) Okay. And then the rest of you are asleep. Um, Peter says, when you're suffering... Commit two things, okay? Commit to just living right. Living a righteous, winsome life. Right? All of the things that he's been teaching us. Don't be, don't let them accuse you falsely. Uh, When they accuse you, let it be falsely, I guess is the way to put it. He says, commit your your life to living right and then commit your, your soul to him. He says, when you suffer, let it be for the right reasons. Deposit, that is, entrust your soul, the real you, into God's hands. Just say, basically, your, your attitude should be this, Peter says. I'm just going to do good, I'm going to do right, and I'm going to trust God to make it right. I'm going to do the best I can to, to live right, and I'm going to trust God to make it right. Right? You can do the right thing, you can be honest, be humble, be winsome, all of those things, and the world will still hate you. But he says, commit the outcome to God. Because it says, verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls, entrust their souls to Him in doing good. Then it says, as a faithful creator. Faithful means trustworthy. So when you're suffering, you need to settle this in your mind. Is my God trustworthy or not? He says, let, him, let them commit their souls to him in doing good as to a trustworthy, faithful, and then it says, creator. If, if I end the sentence and say, if you're suffering, hey, commit your soul to a faithful pastor. Kind of lame, right? Commit your soul to a faithful human. Oh man, that's really bad. But if it says to a faithful creator, what does that tell you? He's the one who lovingly formed you. He knows the end from the beginning. He knew everything that you were going to face. Peter says, look, settle it in your mind. You, you live right, you do right, and then you expect him to make it right. Whether it's in the next day or month or year, he's got all eternity to make it right. The idea is that there's no better place to deposit your life. There's no one more trustworthy to guard your soul than the one who lovingly created it. The one who lovingly created you. Think about it. To trust the voice, Peter says, that spoke the worlds into existence. He spoke the worlds into existence. He can probably handle your problem. To trust the voice that said to Lazarus, who was dead, you think you got problems. He said to Lazarus, come forth, and it happened. Trust the man with that voice. Put your hands, put your life in the hands of the one who fashioned the stars. 
The same hands that can heal a leper. You think you're dirty. You think you're messed up. These hands regularly healed lepers. Trust your hands that... Trust yourself into the hands that willingly were nailed to a cross to secure your salvation. Those are the very best hands to put when you're going through trial, tribulation, suffering. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Thank you that you're able, Lord, to, uh, to speak to us. Thank you, Lord, that even in, what, four verses... You are able, Lord, to, to cover the gamut, Lord, from correction, from rebuke, from encouragement, from those who are just barely hanging on, Lord, who need to hear from you. In all of it, Lord, you're able to make your presence known, Lord. Don't let us, we're such forgetful people. Don't let us uh, be those who are as dust and, and let our ears be be stopped up, Lord. The thing that you're speaking to each individual here today, Lord, let it remain. Lord, in each life, Lord, get rid of the the extra junk, Lord. The thing that you're trying to say today to us, Lord, help us cling to it as Peter did. Where would we go, Lord? You have these words of eternal life. Lord, if there's action that you're calling us to, Lord, let us perform it. Let us go and do that which you're calling us to do, Lord. If there's a conversation we need to have, whatever it is, let us, Lord, be not just hearers, but doers of your word. Lord, let us not be suffering as those who can't control their temper or those who are stealing time or office supplies or whatever it might be. Let us not be those who suffer because we're we're we deserve it, Lord. Let us be those who suffer as Christians. Lord, help us to be those who are not ashamed of your name, but wear it proudly. And help us, Lord, to wear it well. And Lord, I ask, you'd help some in this room need to understand that it's so much better to be corrected than be condemned. Lord, help us all to commit our lives, our souls unto you as a faithful creator and just do good. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.